the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. Flipping the script on the idea of for every disease, a drug, to for every drug, all the diseases it can treat. I'm speaking with Dr. David Fagenbaum, a professor in translational medicine and human genetics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and the co-founder of Every Cure. And now, Dr. David Fagenbaum. Well, David, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I learned from your website, which is everycure.org, that there are about 3,000 FDA-approved medical treatments which address any number of medical conditions. And that's in total, 3,000 in that area. Uh, But to quote that website, no organization is responsible for ensuring that all approved medicines are used to treat every disease they possibly can. And that's true. That's right. They come through to cure a particular disease or address it. Tell us about that. Sure. I mean, it's really been surprising for me to get into the space and to learn this. I mean, we think about the incredible effort and resources that go into getting one drug approved for one disease. I mean, literally billions of dollars and in some cases more than 10 or 20 years for one drug for one disease. And so you would just sort of assume that the work would be done to figure out all of the diseases that could possibly benefit from that drug. But unfortunately, in our current system, um, there are incentives in place that would make a company pick one disease over another disease. And then once that drug becomes generic, there's really no incentives to find more uses for them. So uh, once the patent goes off expiration, anybody can make it, then there's no real, real big profits. That's exactly right. There's no profit. There's no incentive whatsoever. I mean, really, um, once a drug is generic and over 80% of drugs are already generic, there's no incentive to, to find more uses for these drugs. So the tools that are within our reach, the drugs that are literally on our pharmacy shelves to help patients are the ones that we're not studying. They're the ones that we're not fully utilizing. Now, let me flip the question. How many medical conditions today are in need of medications? It's a huge number. We like to think about all the progress that we've made as a medical community, and and we should be really proud. As you said, 3,000 approved drugs. Those 3,000 drugs are approved for about 3,000 diseases, and that is really amazing. Um, But depending on what classification system you use, there's anywhere between 9,000 and 17,000 more diseases that don't have a single approved therapy. Now, these aren't just one-offs. There's millions of people who have these diseases. That's right. It's estimated that about one in 10 Americans have one of these between 9,000 and 17,000 diseases that don't have an approved therapy. One in 10 of all of us listening and and part of the show right now either has or will develop a disease without a single treatment. Now you come to Every Cure. You co-founded it. It's a nonprofit. And what is it trying to do? Sure. Every cure is on a mission to make sure that every FDA-approved drug is utilized for every disease possible. And we're utilizing the world's biomedical knowledge, all the incredible work that's been done by pharmaceutical companies and academic groups and, and others, leverage all of that knowledge to figure out what are the possible uses for every approved drug. And let's go out and let's actually drive forward, advance the trials to prove that they actually work, regardless of whether it's profitable to do that or regardless of whether um, the disease population is large or small, just what are the things that we can do to help people as quickly as possible? I have to say, I can imagine you're sitting there, you have a you have a condition, there's some drugs there, but maybe not working for you. They're working on new ones. I mean, it just frosts you to think, you I mean, we have some drugs that might already work? Yeah. 
it's kind of mind blowing, right? I mean, uh, and, and I know that we'll chat about this um, later on. Um, but as someone who's gone through medical challenges, we tend to think that the drugs that uh, you know our, our doctors tell us about are, are the only drugs that could possibly treat our diseases. But there's this whole, literally, uh, uh, pharmacy worth of other drugs that have the potential to maybe treat us or someone we love. First, you're building a database, a drug repurposing database. What is it? What's in it? What's in that database? Sure. So right now it's about 70 different databases worth of data sets. And so basically the world's knowledge of what do we know as a, as a human society about all the drugs that are approved? What do, you, what do we know about all the diseases that affect humans? What do we know about all the genes in our bodies? What do we know about all of the ways those genes interact with one another? So imagine saying, I want to just get like what the world knows about everything that could be relevant. That is in our basically database of databases, all that information in one central place. And of course, they're all different formats, different limits, different. They're okay. So you've got a lot of the Tower of Babel of medical information. That's right. But you'll say, bring it on. If it's good data, bring, bring it, it on. on. The more the data, the better. Now, frequently, when we are prescribed a medicine, they're going by our symptoms. They're not really able to go inside and see the disease. So at what level are, is some of this data? Oh, that's a great question. So um, the data that we're collecting is on every level from what's happening within the cell of someone with a disease all the way through how do patients perform or, or respond to a drug in a clinical trial, for example. Um, but in terms of the recommendations that come out of it, and, and I know we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but that's on a disease level. So it's basically going to say for your disease, what is the rank ordered list of all 3000 drugs in terms of how likely they are to treat you? So, you know, the first couple might be the first two drugs that are approved for your disease. The next couple might be a couple drugs that maybe have been utilized in a few patients here and there. And then the other almost 3,000 drugs are going to be where we're utilizing artificial intelligence to help us to come up with a score for how likely that drug is to treat your disease. So we've got 3,000 drugs possible. And how many databases do you have? So right now uh, we're at about 80, but we're eager for people to donate additional data to us. We, we really want to get as much data as possible. The 80 databases are fairly comprehensive in terms of what's publicly available. So a lot of times when the federal government funds research, the requirement is that the data be made publicly available so anyone can download it. We've gotten all those data sets. What we don't have are the proprietary private data sets from companies like Elsevier and Clarivate and Walters Kluwer, where they charge subscriptions for access. We're hopeful to partner with all of them. And, and if anyone from, from those companies is listening, we would love to work with you. Bring it on. Send us a password. Yeah, bring, bring it on. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Donate the data to us. You know, we're a nonprofit organization, literally just on a mission to save as many lives as possible in the shortest period of time. And the way to do that is not to develop a new drug from scratch. It's to use the tools already within reach. And I have to say, when we're talking about these data sets, uh, frequently we're talking about clinical trial data sets, which are great. They have a lot of information in yep. them. And these are thousands of people over time, lots of data, all kinds of data, you know, from MRIs to blood tests to amazing kind of information that you haven't even tapped in yet, but are relevant possibly to one or another drug or one or another condition. This is an enormous, enormous task to just look at the size of the data and the complexity of linking it. I mean, there's some human in there that has to kind of do that translation so the AI can get in and do its work. How do you 
do you just have a whole staff of people that are called linkers? <laughs> I don't know how you do this. <laughs> There's actually a whole field. It's called harmon data harmonization. And so we work with an amazing researcher, Melissa Heindel, who's at the University of Colorado, where she has a team of about 20 data harmonizers. And they literally look between all these data sets and try to harmonize the data so that it can be linked. You know, are we using the same unit for this? Are we calling, um, is it called Castleman disease or is it Castleman's disease? You know, ways to basically make sure we're all using the same language, the same vocabulary. Um, and so they're one of our close partners and um, we're, we're thankful that they're doing the harmonization so that way we can make the connections. Okay, so do the math. 3,000 drugs, 80 data sets of all kinds of things, and you're looking for more, lots and lots more, 20,000 diseases. You know, you're not doing this on an Excel spreadsheet. No. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been described by a few folks in this face in the space. One recently described it um, as uh, not a moonshot, but like a Mars shot. It's like further than the moon. And and another person described it as, as the Manhattan Project. And so yeah, it, it's a huge effort. But to me, as a physician, as a scientist, as a patient, as an advocate myself, I can't imagine how we could have gone this long without ever doing this. Um, you know, as someone who has benefited from drugs and also developed drugs for patients, um, again, I just can't believe that our society hasn't come together to say, we're going to take on this Mars shot. You know, we're going to take on this Manhattan Project to make sure that every drug is fully utilized. And so after spending about 10 years um, uh, working within this space and trying to figure out who's doing this and learning that no one's doing it, um, we finally decided that we needed to do it. You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm Moira Gunn. My guest today is Dr. David Fagenbaum, an associate professor in translational medicine and human genetics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He's also the co-founder and president of the nonprofit Every Cure. His 2021 book is Chasing My Cure, a doctor's race to turn hope into action. Well, I said I was going to ask you about this at the end, but I got to ask you about it now. We're always asking, you know, if people are actually walking their talk. You did the walk and now you've made it your talk. <laughs> so we right. just talked about your talk. Tell us how you got here. And it's, a, it's almost a miracle you are. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, um, uh, in 2010, I was a third-year medical student here at the University of Pennsylvania. I was treating patients. Um, I uh, was was healthy, and uh, I was on a mission. I wanted to become a doctor in memory of my mom. She had passed away from cancer a few years before, and um, out of nowhere, I became critically ill. The same hospital I was treating patients, all of a sudden, I was in the ICU. All of my organs were shutting down. I was on life support, requiring daily transfusions just to keep me alive, all with no diagnosis. Um, that lasted for months that I was in the ICU. I was eventually diagnosed with a rare disease called Castleman disease, um, where there were no approved therapies. And um, I, I spent a total of about six months hospitalized. I had my last rites read to me. I you know, just struggled with this condition, received a lot of chemotherapy um, that was uh, used for my disease. And chemo kept saving my life, but then I kept relapsing. And, you know, about two years into this journey, I was in the middle of med school and I was you know, dealing with this illness. I realized that I couldn't just 
just hope that some researcher somewhere would find a drug for me. I mean, my doctor explained to me that he was out of options. He said, there are no more drugs to try for you. This is it. We've tried everything. And so I, I know I couldn't just wait for someone else to find something that if I wanted any chance of survival, I would need to get involved in research myself. And so I created an organization called the Calcium Disease Collaborative Network, and I got to work. I started performing experiments on my own blood samples. I started going through all the studies out there. We talk about the world's biomedical knowledge. I, I probably read through the whole world's biomedical knowledge trying to find a drug to save my life. And um, over the course of about a year, I ended up discovering an old drug called serolimus that's been around for decades. It had never been used for my disease, and I thought it might work. And uh, so I began testing it on myself. And actually, this month marks 10 years that I've been in remission on this drug that wasn't made for my disease. It wasn't supposed to be given to me. I'm not supposed to be here. But because of that drug, I'm alive. And as you said earlier, now it's my mission to find as many of these drugs as possible to save patients as quickly as possible. Yeah, when they say, well, we don't believe you can do it, you say, well, sit down. <laughs> Exactly. I, I got a story like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Exhibit A, right? I'm like, yeah, exactly. You know, you're right, because there are a lot of people like, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is too ambitious and audacious. You know, drug companies spend billions of dollars to develop drugs. You know, how is your nonprofit going to going to make a huge difference? Um, and yeah, exactly. The answer is, well, we already have. And now we just want to do it at scale. Okay. So if I was in a typical pharmaceutical or biopharmaceutical company and we were choosing drugs we have we have a number of candidates you're sitting there going okay well we're we've got all of these scores and you recently figured out how many of these scores you did now let's take us from there because from there, we're going to go down the plan. What what you're planning on doing? Sure. So yeah, I think there's two places to go um, from those important comments you made. I mean, first off, uh, when a drug company develops a new drug, on average, um, somewhere between thirty and forty diseases are considered for that single drug. So drug companies, you know, have a promising product, and they start saying, you know, is it this disease or that disease? as many as 30 to 40 are considered. And that drug company has to make really tough decisions to pick the five or so that it'll actually study in trials. One will get an approval and maybe they'll pursue one or two additional drugs to add to the label to make that drug approved for between one and three things. But remember, if you go back to the very beginning, now there's 20 to 30, maybe even 40 other ideas that haven't been pursued at all. There are great ideas, some really smart people in the drug company considered them. Um, and so so that just sort of tells you the vast potential here is you know the untapped potential of, of every individual drug. Now, multiply that times 3,000. Um, but then in terms of your question, so we're saying, uh, you know, let's not start by just saying that serolimus, the drug that literally saved my life, that it is, you know, it's, a, it's approved for three diseases. It's used off-label for a few more diseases. Let's not start with the mentality that serolimus is being used or could be used for a handful of diseases. Let's start out by just saying, let's look across every disease and let's look at the potential mechanisms of serolimus block something called mTOR. It's a key communication line in the immune system. Let's look to see what diseases mTOR is important in. Let's look at all of them. Who knows if they've ever been studied before? And let's start making connections that way. And so if you look at all 3,000 approved drugs and you use the categorization system, I talked about uh, harmonization earlier, if you categorize diseases into one group uh, or, or in one way, there are about 12,000 diseases. And so when we did that most recently, we generated 36 million scores, all 3,000 drugs against all 12,000 diseases. So 36 million possibilities. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I'll start tomorrow. I'm very tired today. 36 million. I know. It's like, okay, every, everybody take a drug. We everybody take one. We only need 36 million volunteers. You know, it's like, okay. Okay. So you're like, all right, now 
We got to narrow this down. Yep. What's the next step? Where are you trying to go with that? So now when you've got 36 million scores, it's from zero to one. So the scores that are zeros are where we think that, you know, for example, a toenail fungus drug to treat pancreatic cancer, right? No mechanistic reason for why that toenail fungus drug is going to treat um, pancreatic cancer. Those are going to get zeros. We're, they're, we're sort of going to you know, throw them out, right? Now, if I, if I can just interrupt you or ask you for a second here, when you say mechanism is mechanistic, you mean how it the drug works in your system and how cancer works, that those two don't match. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So a great mechanistic link would be, so in Castleman disease, the disease I mentioned that I have, uh, we've discovered that that communication line mTOR is important in Castleman's. It's too high. There's too much mTOR. Well, serolimus works by inhibiting mTOR. So there's a mechanistic link. The disease has too much of something and the drug reduces that thing. So that's a nice mechanistic link. Um, you know, too much and then the drug reduces it. And I used a random example of pancreatic cancer and antifungal medication. There's no evidence that fungi play any role in pancreatic cancer. So there's a really poor link between an antifungal and a, and a, and a pancreatic cancer, for example. So a lot of low scores, but um, as you look across every drug versus every disease, you start finding these matches where there's knowledge that exists within the world that maybe you or I haven't ever come across that study. But if you actually unleash AI across everything the world has ever studied, you start finding these links that actually no pancreatic cancer doesn't have any role of fungi, um, but this one protein in that's involved in the, in, in the development of this cancer um, could be inhibited by a, a drug that um, increases hair growth. Who knows, right? And so you start making a connection between a hair growth drug and pancreatic cancer because there's a mechanistic link. There's a protein that's important to the cancer, and there's and that drug does something to that protein that that could be helpful for the disease. And so now you've got all 36 million scores. You got a lot of zeros, but you've got a lot of point ones, and point twos, and you start getting interested when you see the point sevens, the point eights, the point nines. And so that's where we start digging in, or the point sevens, eights, and nines, because basically our AI algorithm is telling us, hey, if it's a point seven or higher, you should really look into that because there might be something here. The world's knowledge is telling me that there's an interesting pattern here. So then you say, out of 36 million, how many should we look at first? Yeah, so we we, we talk about it in terms of the, the top 10% as a starting place, which ends up being about the sevens, the 0.7s, 0.8s, 0.9s. So now you're somewhere around three to four million. Um, and then you start applying filters to that number. And so you might say, I don't want to look at any of those diseases where there's already an approved drug. So let's take out all of the hits where there's already an approved drug because we want to go after the diseases where no one is being helped, right? So let's just let's just take out all the ones with an approved drug. The next thing you could say is I want to take out all the expensive drugs because I know that if I found a repurposing match and it's an inexpensive drug, I know it'll be easier to get it to patients. So let's just wipe out all the drugs that cost more than $100,000 a year. Um, so now you're going to start you know, filtering down, lowering your number. You could say, I want to just include drugs that are really, really safe. Because if I'm going to repurpose a drug, I don't want to ever cause any harm. I mean, with every cure, we're here to cure people. We're not here to hurt anyone. So, so let's just wipe out all the drugs that have you know, not great safety profiles. And so you can imagine you start applying these filters and you get down to a more manageable number. And then with that manageable number, humans then start going through and say, wow, arginine for sickle cell disease. That's a really safe drug. It's really inexpensive. Sickle cell is a horrible disease. I like that hit. And that actually is one of our top hits right now. And so, you know, you, you basically, you, and then you start having humans go through and you really say, I like this. And then is this better than that? And then the fun really starts happening where you, where you have the opportunity to, to, you know, decide which ones do you want to take forward. 
One thing we have to understand is that you have to take these drugs, even though they've been approved, you've got to take them through clinical trials for the diseases and the conditions that you're talking about. That still costs money and takes time. That's right. It, and you're, you're exactly right. You still have to prove out that the drug works. So even if there's this really clear mechanistic link where this drug almost certainly is going to work for this disease, you still got to prove it. You know, you got to do a, either a, a rigorous clinical trial or in some rare cases, if the drug's already being given to patients, let's say, let's say some doctor at Penn is giving all of her patients arginine for sickle cell disease, and she's treated 200 patients with sickle cell disease, and they all are doing great on arginine. We may not need to do a large randomized controlled trial. We could package that data out, basically do a large, what's called a case series, where you describe, hey, the use of arginine, this cheap, generic, inexpensive drug, widely available, is helping all these kids who are suffering from sickle cell disease. And that might actually be enough to persuade an insurance company to cover, because it's such an inexpensive drug. Now, if it's an expensive drug, you sure as heck better do a clinical trial, because to persuade an insurance company to pay for an expensive drug to be used in a way that it wasn't initially intended, you better really prove it out with the trial. And we've all heard the term off-label. Yes. So that doctor that you were just describing yes. was likely prescribing it off-label. Yes. So we have some indicators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's talk about that a bit. So, you know, when a drug gets FDA approval, it gets a, approved for a specific disease that goes on the label. So Siltuximab got approved for Castleman's. If you look at the label for Siltuximab, it says Castleman's on it to use that drug off-label. And what's amazing is every doctor in the U.S. can prescribe any drug for any disease that they want. There's no rules. Once, once it's approved for something, I can, I can prescribe that for anything I want. The big question is whether the insurance company will pay for it. And of course, if it's an inexpensive drug, it's much easier to persuade an insurance company. If it's an expensive drug, it's harder to persuade them to cover um, off-label use. Now we're, we're going to go down. We're going to figure this out. I know you have some goals for how many you're going to try to do in the next how many years. You're thinking a five-year plan. That's right. Of course, your five-year plan keeps moving. As, as time goes right. on, the five years goes out. Yeah. And uh, you're hoping to do 25 of these clinical trials. What do you think? In the next five years, we would like to um, advance 25 treatments for new diseases that weren't previously being treated. And just to give you a perspective, um, if we're able to achieve that really ambitious goal, that would put us on par with you name big drug company in terms of their productivity on a per, on a you know five year basis. So Eli Lilly, Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, Merck, um, about five or so new approvals a year. Um, we want to do that. We want to do that with you know less than one one thousandth of the budget. Um, and the way we're going to do that with less than one one thousandth of the budget is because we're just going to go after drugs that are already on the market. They're already FDA approved. They don't need any of the prior preclinical studies. They don't need nearly as many clinical trial patients because it's already been approved for one thing. And we want to focus on the diseases that have been neglected, where you know no one has gone after that disease, and using the drugs that are neglected as well because they're inexpensive and they're generic. And so for all these reasons, um, we're able to mobilize resources in ways that um, the drug companies just aren't able to based on the way the system is set up. Um, but man, uh, you know, are there a lot of patients waiting for these solutions? Now, you would be mistaken if you thought that every cure was just a lovely, lovely, you know, building with a nice parking lot and greenery around and uh, and all the work is going on inside the building. Every cure is a pretty small outfit 
yep. with a lot of collaboration, yes. big and small. Everyone can collaborate from an individual up to a huge pharmaceutical company, up to an institute, up to a university, up to a researcher with a lab bench. Let's talk about all the various ways, you know, just sort of quickly, it's like, how can various entities, organizations, and individual humans actually participate? Oh, I love this question. Yeah, we, I mean, we we called it every cure because we want to be as inclusive as possible. It, it's all of us, you know. Um, we at one point we thought about calling it the Cure Collective or the Cure Collaborative because it's really about bringing all of us together. And so, yeah, what are a few ways the different um, listeners could be involved? So first off, every single patient, um, every per that means every person in the United States and beyond that has ever received a drug off-label or repurposed, so a drug for something that it wasn't intended for. And by the way, 20% of all prescriptions that are written every day are for off-label uses. So, so probably everyone listening right now has received a drug off-label, um, but truly everyone who uh, who has an idea or has maybe benefited from an off-label drug or they have an idea about a repurposed drug, we want you to share those with us. Um, uh, right now, it's at everycure.org. Um, in the future, we'll ha likely have a separate portal specifically. But if you go to everycure.org, you can share with us about how you might think that um, – Folinic acid might be a great drug for your lupus, um, or I, I don't know what it might be, but but you share those with us. We want you to share those with us because we want to be that entity that just drives great ideas forward. So so anyone can share ideas with us, whether you're a patient, you're a physician, um, and you've given it to your patients, you're a researcher, and you have ideas. Share those ideas with us. We, we want you to do that. Um, if you are a healthcare organization, so let's say you have access to data, genomic data, proteomic data drugs uh, screen data um, that could be useful for us, that could go into that knowledge graph, please share it with us. Um, you know, if you are a company that has data like that and you license it out typically, I hope you'll consider donating it to us. We're a nonprofit organization and we would love to highlight the fact that your company donated your data to us for free. We could utilize that. And then and maybe uh, one of the most important categories is if you're involved in clinical trials, so you're a contract research organization um, or you uh, serve as a site for clinical trials, we would love to work with you because we the, the most expensive part of this whole equation, as you mentioned earlier, is the clinical trials. And so if we can partner with groups that can do clinical trials efficiently, can maybe provide discounted pricing to our organization, that's going to help us be able to do more clinical trials for less dollars. And so as you can tell, pretty much anyone and everyone could contribute to us, and we hope you all will. And of course, this is a nonprofit Donations are always welcome. That's correct. <laughs> so, so just please know that. Please know that. Everycure.org. That's Everycure.org. Right. I, I want to thank you so much, David, for coming in. And you know we'll do we'll do anything we can for you. And uh, please come back. You know you're always welcome on Tech Nation. Well, thank you so much for having me and just highlighting this incredible opportunity um, that I, I never uh, could have imagined the potential out there to help a lot of people. And it's, of course, as I laid in my hospital bed 13 years ago, I never thought that I'd be talking with you uh, today and sharing about this, this um, you know, where we are. And, and I really hope um, as, as I look to the future that, you know, five years from now, we can look back and, and we can see the 25 diseases um, that we're treating now with repurposed drugs and just um, so excited about the, the opportunity to help a lot of people and hope that everyone listening um, will join on this mission. My guest today is University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine professor, Dr. David Fakenbaum. He's the co-founder and president of Every Cure. 
More information is available on the web at everycure.org. That's everycure.org. His 2021 book, Chasing My Cure, A Doctor's Race to Turn Hope into Action, is published by Ballantine. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.